0: Alright, we have made it to chapter 10 in this study and uh, we will conclude today uh, the uh, chapter 10 and 11 and conclude actually this book 1. This is a trilogy of uh, three books and we will conclude book 1 today you understand our purpose and our intent what we have been setting set out to do which was to uh, show the continuity of the scriptures especially continuity of the old testament with the new testament and how that they there is no difference between them in terms of god's salvation there uh, uh there is an unfolding uh and a, uh, a building on revelation the revelation of god is continuing unfolding of the revelation of god just by way of introduction the paragraph uh and and so much of so much of these paragraphs so much of what i read to you and uh, more of what i don't read to you <laughs> from his writing is, uh, uh, raises, uh, interesting questions for us all. Brother John is keen to point out some of them. I point out some of them. Uh, but, uh, we said going into this study that Goldsworthy, I'm not promoting Goldsworthy, uh, himself as a person or, or the book, particularly as a, you know, some kind of a classic work. It's just we are using it as an instrument to, to, uh, to expand the thought that I wanted to bring to teach the church. And uh, this introduction is is no different. Page 123, he said in chapter 4, because you're taking up the subject now, taking up the subject of hermeneutics. He said in chapter 4, hermeneutics, or interpretation, was described as the process of determining how the ancient biblical text has general revel, revel, uh, relevance here and now. We may now put this a little more exactly, saying hermeneutics aims at, now notice the wording there, this is not a definition. He didn't say hermeneutics is. This is not a theological definition. This is his expression that hermeneutics aims at showing the significance of the text in the light of the gospel to interpret an old testament text we establish its relationship to the revelation of god in jesus christ i added the word there the word total i said to interpret an old testament text we establish its relationship to the total revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And that is, I said, is something of an introduction today because uh, it's pointing us back to this this simple principle that we have been aiming at all along and showing all along uh, of the, the continuity of the Old Testament revelation with the new, and that it was just unfolding preparatory revelation to the coming of Christ. Page 25, 125, he says, from <clears throat> we look at it another way. He said, from man's point of view, from man's point of view, we see the scriptures unfold a step by step process until. The gospel is reached as the goal. Now, I put again, I changed the wording of that sentence. I said, uh, we see the scriptures unfold a step-by-step process until the completed revelation of the gospel. The completed revelation of the gospel is reached as the goal. But from God's point of view, we know that the coming of Christ to live and to die for sinners was predetermined factor even before God made the world. We must not think of God as trying first one plan and then another until he came up with the perfect way of salvation. The gospel was preordained so that at the exact and perfect time God sent forth his son into the world. So it's, it is it is an unfolding of revelation until the time came for the complete revelation to be brought, and that, of course, is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, which He does state that quite plainly. That is the, the, the that is that to which all the scripture had pointed. It had pointed. To Christ, uh, there is uh, what follows after that. Uh, really, page uh, one twenty six uh, through one twenty eight is he he deals with his his own methodology, and then in verses uh, chapters uh, page I'm sorry, pages one twenty eight. On through verse one uh, uh page one thirty five one twenty eight through one thirty five he gives examples of how he employs his methodology. Now, I'm not particularly keenly interested in any of that. You have the book if you read it, you may glean uh, good things there. And that's fine. I, I certainly don't have no criticism of it. I'm just not particularly interested in it for the purposes of this study. His methodology of applying. But I will make some summary comments uh, with regard to that. In the uh, chapter titled conclusion on page 136 he says underlying this survey has been the conviction that 20th century Evangelical Christians have experienced a radical loss of direction in handling the Old Testament. I do not think that is an overstatement. I think that is positively an accurate statement. And it it is that for that reason that we undertook, I undertook the study that that modern 20th century evangelical Christians have experienced a radical loss of direction in handling the Old Testament. One of the contributing causes, I thought this was interesting, I had not thought of this before, one of the uh, contributing causes for that decline is the severing of evangelicalism from the historical perspectives of the faith. This introduces a vicious cycle because devotion to study of the Old Testament is an important means of preserving the historicity of the gospel. Evangelicals have lost sight not only of biblical history but of their own historical heritage in the Reformation. By reverting to either allegorical interpretation on the one hand or prophetic literalism, on the other hand, some evangelicals have thrown away the hermeneutic gains of the reformers in favor of a medieval approach to the Bible. Now, I think that pretty well, although that's not meant to be a highly scholastic analysis it's just a general it's just general a uh, general analysis, but I think it's absolutely accurate. We have lost it because on the one hand, on the one hand, in evangelical circles, broadly speaking, there has been this uh, this direction of hermeneutic to an interpretation that's allegorical. The allegorical method has carried off with it multitudes Then on the opposite side of that, there is the prophetic literalism of others, which is where you get your dispensationalism and uh, all of that particular school of thought. So these two errors have led the bulk of modern evangelicalism off from the old path of biblical hermeneutics. And uh, I would say in mass. He goes on to say the other great, the other, this was very interesting. The other great contributing factor to modern misuse of the Old Testament is a generation of bad habits in Bible reading. Evangelicals have had a reputation for taking the Bible seriously, but even they have traditionally propagated the idea of the short devotional reading from which a, quote, blessing from the Lord must be wrested. Failure to gain this undefined blessing is usually seen to be a function of the spiritual state of the reader rather than the nature of the text itself. And I've substituted the word, I think it more completes the thought that he's expressing. The word "text," I scratched out and substitute the method. Now, listen. Let me read it with that with that word. Failure to gain this undefined blessing is usually seen to be a function of the spiritual state of the reader rather than the nature of the method itself. Because what he's been talking about has been this method. We've promoted now for a very long time a method of reading the scriptures, whereby we say we'll just take a little short text and and uh, get a blessing from the Lord, and just these little quips. We we'll just read a little read a little flashpoint, and we're supposed to get a blessing from that. Now, that's not to say God can't bless His people with a phrase. God can bless his people with a single word. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a methodology, a method of reading the scriptures. We have promoted a method of reading the scriptures which is not biblical. And the idea is that you get this blessing from the Lord by reading this little, just reading these little tiny excerpts. You don't read anything else, and you don't read even those excerpts in their context. You just read the little excerpt, and you're supposed to get a blessing from the Lord. I had a monitor one time on my bus that has uh, one of these programs uh, on his phone, app or whatever, that sends you one of these every morning. It sends you a, just a little phrase or other the scriptures, then a little paragraph with a prayer. You can pray the prayer of blessing. And, uh, this monitor felt obliged to read this thing to me every morning when it went off on our, on our journeys. And, uh, I just had to say nothing and listen. But this, this method has been promoted for a very long time. And Goldsworthy says this is one of the problems. It's one of the reasons we, we don't have a right grasp of the Old Testament. We're not reading it right. He said, this mentality is almost paralyzed by such phenomena as the genealogies of the Bible. Consequently, one is unlikely to find a genealogy text included in daily devotional sections. <laughs> You're not going to find genealogies in these little devotional quips. Now, please, don't misunderstand me, don't misquote me, don't go away with the wrong idea." I am not criticizing the use of a devotional method. That is, that that you can look at a small portion of Scripture and spend just a very few minutes, even just a couple, of three minutes, entertaining some spiritual idea. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if your Bible reading is limited to that, then you're going to be sadly deficient. That will not do. (laughs) And most professing Christians that I talk to today, that is in fact the full extent of their reading. They get this little statement every day, and they get their blessing, and they're good to go. That's as deep as they go into the word. And Goldsworthy names that as being one of the problems with with uh why we've departed now on page one want four we'll come back to this page again, but on one forty four uh you you remember we said there's an appendix to each of these chapters has an appendix, and he had various exercises in these appendices which i I've enjoyed and appreciated i have I have tried to follow through with them. I did not encourage you to do that i. You don't necessarily need to do that, but uh on page one forty four uh the appendix for this he says uh here's an assignment he gives he, prepare outlines of Bible studies or Sunday school lessons in the following on the following passages now here's what I want you to get. He says, remember the three basic questions to put when you undertake study any passage of scripture number 1 what did the text mean to the original writer there's where you will accomplish what we call contextualization contextualize the text don't take it out of its try to understand what did this mean then and there when it was when it was received question number 2 What does the text mean in the light of the gospel? In other words, don't go off on a theological flight of some other subject. Every scripture is given as a part of the revelation of Christ. So you want to ask yourself in this text, now what is this saying to me about Christ? What is it pointing at? Or how is it fulfilling the continued uh, progressive revelation of Christ? That's an important question. Don't study any text apart from any thought about how it reveals Christ. And then question number three, what is its specific meaning to me and to my hearer? So you take those first two and you build on that and say, right, what would the Lord say to me from that? But the that has to be that scripture contextualized. You can't just pluck it out and then give to it whatever meaning you think would be relevant for now. You've got to take the meaning that it has. And then find out right what is the relevance of that to me now. Those I think are those are three very simple questions, but I think they're they're worthy of of actually taking note of and adopting in your methodology when you search the scriptures. So then there is a final word for us I think uh, as we conclude this whole. Uh, first book, go to book two. There's a final word for us on uh, page 137, which I think kind of summarizes what I have tried to emphasize. The paragraph there says the pivotal point of turning in evangelical thinking which demands close attention is the change that has taken place. From the Protestant, I would say Christian, biblical emphasis upon the objective facts of the gospel in history, there's been a shift, he says, a shift, a change that has taken place from an emphasis on the objective facts of the gospel in history to the medieval emphasis on the inner life. The evangelical who sees only the inward transforming work of the spirit as the key element of Christianity will soon lose contact with the historic faith and the historic gospel. At the same time, he will come to neglect The historical acts of God in the Old Testament. Now, let me just put this in my words, or at least express what I hope, I think he's expressing. The modern emphasis, he sees that word inner life. We have, we have another term that's in vogue today called felt needs. (laughs) Felt needs. There's been a shift in empathy, and if you listen, you can go on sermon audio. You can go on to anything you want to go to. You can search church uh, uh, churches and, and go to the where they have their sermons recorded on the church websites, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can just waste a ton of time going to all these places, and what you're hearing, 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 wait, and Lord help us, unfortunately, even among our so-called reform. Trends. What you're hearing talked about in the preaching so much is this inner life, this inner feeling, our felt needs. And the actual historical gospel, the historical narrative, the historical records are little, very little apart. Of most sermons, very, very scanty is their appearance in the modern most modern sermons. There is an address to uh, to there is a an attempt to address this inner life constantly and this felt sense of things <laughs> and uh, I struggle even to know how to describe it, frankly, but I hear it constantly. You, you don't hear, you hardly ever, you get among people who profess to be Christians, you hardly ever hear them engaged in a conversation about Scripture. Some point or other in Scripture. It's it's about their feelings and their experience, existentialists. You know that that's what you hear. I know that you know this. You, you you get around. You like myself. You talk to other believers or people who are professed believers, and you constantly hear this. They're constantly on about themselves and feelings of where they are, where they think they are, where they feel they are, where they want to be, and there's all this stuff. And you hardly ever hear people actually just discussing some or other point of doctrine, or of the scriptures themselves. And that's sad, but that's where we are. So that the historical, that's where—that's what he was talking about when he was talking about uh, the historical, the historicity, Bible history, he called it, the historical perspectives of the faith. He talked about on 136. The history, the actual record, is missing in most contexts today. And uh, that is very sorrowful. I I remember uh, with great delight, it's one of the very few uh, good memories I have of uh, the time that I spent uh, in Ireland. We had a a so-called pastor's conference uh at dublin i think once every what two months something three months whatever there was a the men all those who were not roman catholics presbyterian baptist whoever anybody that was not roman catholic we met in dublin at this hotel and we had two or three days of conference together just encouraging one another mm-hmm. and, and and blessing and i remember that at every table at every meal At every little huddle, there was some or other point of doctrine being hammered out, talked about. And that's how it ought to be. That's how it ought to be among believers. And, uh, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's lost in today's, in today's culture of Christianity. So that's the point Goldsworthy has been Making that's the point that I've been making, and uh so we've concluded uh book one. Anybody like to add or subtract to that for the lecture today all right remember uh the the gentleman if if uh you will the gentlemen will collect uh at the back uh, for a brief meeting with john and then he can get uh they he he and Jacob can get the uh other work done and but we'll meet uh first together in preparation for the uh the remaining days of this month and this year. Let's pray together, Father. Thank you for leading us by your word. Blessed Lord, it is by this word that we are fed and led. Help us, deliver us from our own thoughts, deliver us from our own deliberations, and cause us to hear Your word. Bless and direct our paths. Help us this coming week, Lord. This fam families, every family, I pray for Your grace among us, Lord. This is a This is a blessed holiday, a time to give thanks, thanksgiving. And I pray that you would help us, make us mindful of the thanksgiving that we owe. Lord, it is not a holiday to indulge ourselves, but a time and opportunity for us to reflect on how much you have indulged us with your blessings. Help us now, help our families meet every need and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.